Grab genommen bedauert. Edited by Brian Aldiss and Harry Harrison. This is In the Imagicon by George Henry Smith. Dandor leaned back on the warm silk of the lounge and stretched, letting his eyes wander up to the high ceiling of his palace and then dropped down to the blonde who knelt at his feet. She was putting the finishing touches on his carefully manicured toenails while the voluptuous brunette with the mobile hips and full red mouth leaned forward to pop another grape into his mouth. He studied the blonde, whose name was Cecily, and thought about the other service she had performed for him last night. That had been nice, very nice. But today he felt bored, just as he was bored with a brunette whose name he couldn't remember at the moment, and with the cuddly red-headed twins, and with... Dander yawned. Why were they all so damned worshipful, and always so eager to please? It was almost, he thought with a wry grin, as though they were products of his imagination. Or rather, and he almost laughed aloud, of that greatest of all man's inventions, the Imagicon. There now, don't they look nice? Cecily said, sitting back to admire his finished pedicure with pride. Dandor looked at the ten shining objects of her gaze and grimaced. It made him feel pretty silly. Then Cecily made him feel even sillier by leaning over and kissing his right foot with passionate red lips. Oh, Dander. Dander, I love you so much. Dandor resisted the temptation to use one of his newly pampered feet to give her a healthy kick on her round little bottom. He resisted it because even at times like this, when his life with these women began to seem unreal, he tried to be as kind as possible to them. Even when their worship and adoration threatened to bore him to death, he tried to be kind. So, instead of kicking Cecily, he yawned. The effect was almost the same. Her blue eyes widened in fear, and... The brunette raised wide eyes from the grape she was peeling. Her lips started to tremble. You, you're going to leave us, aren't you? He yawned again and patted her head absent-mindedly. Yeah, just for a little time, darling. Oh, Dander, don't you love us? Yeah, of course I do, but... <laughs> Dander, please don't go. 
We'll do anything to make you happy. I know, I know that. You're both very sweet, but somehow I just feel... Please stay. We'll have a party with champagne. Any kind of pleasure you desire. We'll go get the other girls. I'll dance for I'm, you. I'm sorry, Daphne, he said, finally remembering her name. I'm sorry, but you girls are beginning to seem unreal to me, and when that happens, I must go. But when you leave us, it's, it's almost as though we were turned off. Her words saddened him a little, because in a way it was true. When he left, it was almost like turning them off. But true or not, he couldn't do anything about it because he felt himself being drawn irresistibly toward that other world. He took one last look around at the incredible luxury of his palatial palace, at the beauty of his women, and at the warm sun shining through the windows, and then he was gone. The first thing he heard when he came out of the Imagicon was the howling of the wind, and the first thing he felt was the numbing cold. The next thing that assaulted his ears was the rasping screech of his wife's voice. So you finally came out of it, did you? Well, it's about time, you good-for-nothing little runt. So he was really back on the strand, back on the coldest hell of a colonial world in any universe. He had often thought that he would never return, but here he was, back on the strand and back with his wife, Nona. You've been gone long enough, I'll tell you that. She was a big, raw-boned woman with stringy black hair, a broad, flat face with thin lips and uneven yellowish teeth. God, but she's ugly, he thought as he stared at her. Beside her, Cecily and the others were goddesses. It's a good thing you got back, because the ice walls is acting up. And we need frozen ice moss for the fire. And you just better get out there. Dandor just stood there and listened as she went on and on with a long list of chores it needed doing. Why, he wondered, why didn't she get one of her boyfriends from down at the mines to do these things? He knew without being told that her lovers had been around while he was gone. Nona was as faithless as she was ugly. And since there were 20 men to every woman on this planet, she had plenty of opportunity. And that cattle shed needs a new roof. Did you hear me? I said there's things to be done. Yes, yes, I, I heard you. Well, then don't stand there like an idiot. Sit down, eat your breakfast, and then get out to work. Breakfast was a thick, greasy piece of rancid pork and a bowl of lukewarm grits. Dander choked on it, but finally forced it down. Then he put on his thermal suit and furs and started for the door. Here, stupid, said Nona, picking up a face mask from a pile of litter on the table and flinging it at him. You want to freeze your nose off? He slapped the mask on quickly so she wouldn't see the anger on his face, opened the door and plunged out. The wind hit him in the face, hurling jagged ice crystals against his mask. Nestrand. My God, why Nestrand? He thought longingly of the comparative warmth of the cabin as he stared out at the bleak landscape. He thought of the black box that was the Imagicon. It sat in the one clear corner of the cabin and was the only way back to... But no, he couldn't go back yet. There were too many things to be done here. So, with an axe over his shoulder, he started across the frozen waste to the ancient peat bog where they cut their fuel. All morning long, with the wind raging at him and the bitter cold making every breath an aching torment in his chest, he cut and stacked the frozen peat. Then, when the pale yellow sun peeked through the clouds of ice crystals for a moment and he saw it was almost directly overhead, 
He tied up a large bundle of the brick-like slabs and hoisted it onto his shoulder for the trip back to the miserable huts of Nestrand. Nona slapped a bowl of thin soup and a piece of stale bread down in front of him and called it lunch. He ate in silence and then went out behind the cabin to spend the afternoon digging the new cesspool. This made the work of the morning seem like a rest cure. The ground had been frozen since Nestrand first started to roll around its inadequate sun. By evening, his back and legs and thighs ached tormentingly. With only a foot of ground excavated, he had to give up when night fell and staggered back toward the cabin with only one thought in mind. Sleep. The howl that wrenched him from his troubled slumber seemed to come from the deepest pits of hell. What? What's that? Ice walls, you fool. They're after the cattle shed. Now get out there and stop them. Dandor straggled to his feet and fumbled for his clothes as another howl rent the night. He reached for his laser rifle while Nona yelled again. Hurry up! All things can rip lawns off a shed like it was kindling! He was out the door then with flashlight in one hand and rifle in the other. He saw them at once. There were two of the six-legged terrors. One of them was raised up on its four back legs, its massive jaws ripping at the timber of the shed. Dander could hear the terrified bellow of the cattle inside. He plowed through the snow toward the creature. It hurt him and turned fiery red eyes in his direction. It kept on slashing at the logs for a second and then whirled and came at him in great leaping bounds. Caught by surprise, he had no time to drop the flashlight and lift the laser rifle to fringe position. He had a fire from the hip and the beam caught the monster in the shoulder. It wasn't good enough. He sidestepped as the huge body hurtled past him and then blasted its head off. Then he almost died himself as the decapitated thing went slithering through the snow, spurting blood everywhere. He almost died because for a split second he had forgotten its mate. He remembered only when the creature struck him from behind and sent him sprawling on the frozen ground. The monstrous beast was on top of him and he screamed as a claw ripped flesh away from his thigh and the powerful jaws moved toward his throat. The flashlight had been flung from his hand, but the real rifle was still resting in its sling attached to his shoulder. He found the trigger and fired at full power. The laser beam tore off a leg and haunch of the ice wolf and it fell away, away from him and he blasted it again. Then blackness closed in over him. When he came to, he was lying on the table in the cabin. Nona and a strange man were bending over him. Well, you sure got yourself in a pretty mess this time. That leg is going to have come off. Are, are, are you a doctor? Only one this side of Alpha Centauri. <laughs> the pain, doctor. Can't you give me something for the pain? I gave you the last morphine I had. Back on Earth, we might have saved that leg, but here... White-hot flame seemed to envelop the slashed leg. Dander winced and then saw the half-smile on Nona's lips as she said, With no more morphine or anything else, cutting off that leg's gonna hurt like hell, ain't it, Doc? Yeah, I got some whiskey in my car. I'll go get it. He went hobbling off, and Nona leaned over Dander and looked into his eyes. It's really gonna hurt, sweetie. It's gonna hurt like it hurt me all those times when you went off and left me. Yeah, and you went off in your black box 
No, 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 no. No, it didn't hurt you. You're not... He almost said she wasn't capable of being hurt, but he stopped because he didn't know for sure if that were true. With only one leg, you're not going to be able to get in that damn thing by yourself. You're going to have to stay here and be nice to me. No, 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 you, you don't understand. He started to plead with her, but then the doctor was back with a quart of whiskey and his black bag. Here, here, drink this fast. He drank deeply and quickly, but it didn't help much. As the doctor cut and sawed, Dander was sure his screams would burst his skull. At times he wondered why his curses didn't snap the straps that held him down or drive off the two tormentors bending over him. Well, I guess that's it. We're going to have to cauterize this stump or he'll bleed to death. I ain't got nothing but fire to do it with either. Come help me heat up the poker, woman. Dander came fully awake as he caught the over-the-shoulder look Nona gave him. He saw her eyes dart toward the Imagicon. It was almost as though she had said aloud, You belong to me now, only to me, and there won't be no more of that going off. But she couldn't. How could she? Through the haze of morphine, alcohol, and pain, Dander tried to ask himself, why should she treat him this way? He couldn't think of any answer. And as they hurried off to prepare the cauterizing iron for the bloodiest stump of his leg, the black coffin-like shape of the Imagicon filled his eyes and his mind. If the pain hadn't already been more than reason could bear, he wouldn't have had the courage to roll off the table and begin crawling toward the black box, leaving the trail of blood behind him. The black box. Somehow he knew it represented a surcease from pain, a promise of ultimate safety. He reached it without their being aware of his actions, and by making a supreme effort, he pulled himself up high enough to press his palm against the sensor that identified him instantly and was the only thing in this or any other universe that could open it. He collapsed, more dead than alive, into the Imagicon, and it closed silently over him. Then there was a bright, warm world around him, and bright young faces above him, Oh, Dander, darling, darling. Sweetheart, you've come back. We're so happy to see you. We're so happy to see you. And and I'm the happiest of all. Dander assured them, gazing down at his leg, at his perfectly whole, intact leg, which felt no pain whatever. Thank God. Oh, thank God I'm back. The Imagicon had worked. It had worked once again. It had taken him to the world of imagination and back again to reality, to wonderful, wonderful reality. Dander sat up and looked around at his own warm, marvelous world. It was the world of Earth in 22300, the world a hundred years after the plague, the plague which had attacked the male genes and reduced the male population to a few thousand and made each man the center of an eager and worshipful harem of women. Many of the surviving men had not been able to stand the strain. Too many years of adoration, too many years of having everything and every woman they wanted had proved too much for them. Then there had come the Imagicon, the invention that made any world a man desired seem absolutely real. 
Some men had used it to create even more exotic and wonderful worlds than the one they lived in. But that had been only more of a good thing, and had made them more dissatisfied than ever. Dander had been wise. With his Imagicon, he had created an entirely different kind of world. A world of cold and terror called Nostrand. Dander had known a great truth. What good was paradise without something to compare it to? Without a taste of hell from time to time, how could a man appreciate heaven? Magicon, a story by George Henry Smith. It appears in the collection edited by Brian Aldiss and Harry Harrison called Nebula Award Stories 2. I am Michael Hansen. Reading with me were Benita Cornut, Louise Strasbaugh, and Jay Fitz. Roger Zelazny's story, Corita. It's from his book, The Doors of His Face, The Lamps of His Mouth, and Other Stories. He awoke to an ultrasonic wailing. It was a thing that tortured his eardrums while remaining just beyond the threshold of the audible. He scrambled to his feet in the darkness. He bumped against the wall several times. Dully, he realized that his arms were sore as though many needles had entered there. The sound maddened him. Escape. He had to get away. A tiny patch of light occurred to his left. He turned and raced toward it, and it grew into a doorway. He dashed through and stood blinking in the glare that assailed his eyes. He was naked. He was sweating. His mind was full of fog and the rag ends of dreams. He heard a roar as of a crowd, and he blinked against the brightness. Towering, a dark figure stood before him in the distance. Overcome by rage, he raced toward it, not quite certain why. His bare feet trod hot sand, but he ignored the pain as he ran to attack. Some portion of his mind framed the question, why? But he ignored it. Then he stopped. A nude woman stood before him, beckoning and fighting, and there came a sudden surge of fire within his loins. He turned slightly to his left and headed toward her. She danced away. He increased his speed, but as he was about to embrace her, there came a surge of fire in his right shoulder and she was gone. 
He looked at his shoulder, and an aluminum rod protruded from it, and the blood ran down along his arm. There arose another roar, and she appeared again. He pursued her once more, and his left shoulder burned with sudden fires. She was gone, and he stood shaking and sweating, blinking against the glare. It's a trick, he decided. Don't play the game. She appeared again, and he stood stock still, ignoring her. He was assailed by fires, but he refused to move, striving to clear his head. The dark figure appeared once more, about seven feet tall and possessing two pairs of arms. It held something in one of its hands. If only the lighting weren't so crazy, perhaps he. But he hated that dark figure, and he charged it. Pain lashed his side. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Crazy. It's all crazy. He told himself, recalling his identity. This is a bull ring, and I'm a man, and that dark thing isn't. Something's wrong. He dropped to his hands and knees, buying time. He scooped up a double fistful of sand while he was down. There came proddings, electric and painful. He ignored them for as long as he could, then stood. A dark figure waved something at him, and he felt himself hating it. He ran toward it and stopped before it. He knew it was a game now. His name was Michael Cassidy. He was an attorney, New York, of Johnson, Weems, Doherty, and Cassidy. A man had stopped him asking for a light on a street corner late at night. That he remembered. He threw the sand at the creature's head. It swayed momentarily, and its arms were raised toward what might have been its face. Gritting his teeth, he tore the aluminum rod from his shoulder and drove its sharpened end into the creature's middle. Something touched the back of his neck, and there was darkness, and he lay still for a long time. When he could move again, he saw the dark figure, and he tried to tackle it. He missed, and there was pain across his back and something wet. When he stood once again, he bellowed, "You can't do this to me! I'm a man, not a bull!" There came a sound of applause. He raced toward the dark thing six times, trying to grapple with it, hold it, hurt it. Each time, he hurt himself. Then he stood, panting and gasping, and his shoulders ached and his back ached, and his mind cleared a moment. And he said, "You're, you're God, aren't you? And this is the way you play the game." The creature did not answer him, and he lunged. He stopped short, and dropped to one knee, and dove against its legs. He felt a terrible, fiery pain within his side as he brought the dark one to earth. He struck at it twice with his fists. Then the pain entered his breast, and he felt himself grow numb. Or, or are you? 
No, you're not. Where, where am I? His last memory was of something cutting away at his ears. from his book, The Doors of His Face, The Lamps of His Mouth, and other stories. This is Michael Hansen. Technical operation for this broadcast by Marsha Phillips. Mindwebs is a production of WHA Radio in Madison, a service of University of Wisconsin Extension. (laughs) 